Welcome to another exciting episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast willing to call bullshit on the VB Hard Work Index. Can't always be Dale Finucane, there's something wrong with the system. I'm your host, Eamon Brown, and today on the show we're discussing all of the late-breaking news in the wonderful world of rugby league. But first, I'm joined in the Media Watch Mario Studios by the only man who was so good at the board game Guess Who that he once developed a paranoid delusion when he was 12 years old that the fat bloke in the hat called Eric was following him everywhere. It's Xander Risotto. Welcome to the show, mate. Yeah, hey, mate. I wish I was still living in that deluded world. What got you into Guess Who when you are in your youth? Well, you know, I was always a bit of a super recogniser. Like, I probably could have been a, po- a profiler for the police, but, mm. um, you know, I, I decided for a life of organised crime instead. Oh, well, I'm glad you've taken that route, to be honest. You know, that Guess Who couldn't happen, I don't think, in the woke world of 2020. Because, you know, you get asked the basic questions in that game. You go, yeah, are you male? And people these days will go, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's a fair point. You know, I mean, like, well, no, my character is gender fluid. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, I identify, I am Eric, but I identify as Claire. That's true. And, uh, you know, like, fuck the game up. My character is undergoing a transition. <laughs> and no one could beat you. <laughs> you know, it'd be That's funny. The Maybe the new versions of Guess Who have characters that have one side of the face looking particularly effeminate or mm. ones that really would be hard to pick as either male or female. And you have to go with, I think they're gender fluid. Should we approach Milton Bradley about that idea and make a trans edition? I don't know. Maybe you just get them holding a gender studies book. Okay. And, you know, yep. Then you're like, well, you know, we don't know which one. <laughs> Here, kids, I know you're only eight years old, but uh, play a game of Guess Who with no one's got a particular identity. That'd be interesting. Or at least a fluid one. I shouldn't say they don't have one. For all the woke listeners out there, it's the voluntary tackle. There are none. Um, you know what my favourite board game as a kid was, mate? Do you remember that board game, Operation? Yeah. Did you ever yeah. used to play I, I loved Operation. Oh, yeah, good I fun. actually used to um, intentionally hit the sides. Okay, just yeah. to get the electric shock. Was that for sexual reasons? Or? No, I mean, because, you know, obviously uh, it, look, the, the, the dummy makes a noise of pain. Yep, it does. Yep. So, yeah, I enjoyed that. It flails in pain. Yeah. In fact, when I was growing up, well, not when I was growing up, only recently I bought the Josh Dugan edition. It's actually a really frustrating game to play because the moment you get something out of the Josh Dugan operation game, it gets injured in another place. I actually thought that had been superseded uh, by the Curtis Scott version <laughs> where it's, it's just lying there minding its own business. Yeah, your objective of the game there is to be heinously offensive to an innocent man. Which is, <laughs> I just, think it's, he's not a patient. He's just a man minding his own business, and you just have to shock him. <laughs> There's a lesson in there for everyone, kids. You know, I legitimately got bought uh, the Family Ties board game when I was about ten years old, and I had no memory of this until I was going through the family photo album a couple of years ago. And there's a photo of me holding it up that I've just unwrapped for Christmas, with the most unimpressed face that you could imagine. <laughs> Oh. Can you believe Family Ties made a board game? I just love. It. I mean, getting What's a, the objective? Getting a board game, even even for our generation, Fuck Mallory. I, mean, I know. You know, like growing up, like you, you know, you you wanted 
you wanted a Super Mario Brothers. You didn't want a fucking board game. But what were my yeah. parents? Surely they had to be going cheap, right? Yeah. They couldn't have gone. You know what I think he wants? That kind of relatively funny '80s sitcom, but in board game form. That's yeah. what ten-year-old Eamon wants. When have they been? You know, I mean, it, it's funny. I work with a guy who loves his board games, and it, you know, it's just they've they've not really been a thing um, that people like for a long time. And I always remember he asked. Everybody at work is like, oh, do you want to come to my place and play some board games? And and he asked one of the girls, you know, she wanted no to come thanks, over. Mate, I'm washing my penis. Yeah, it was funny. Like he's like, and he's he's a little bit lacking on the uh, EQ side of things. Um, he's a French guy. Yeah, and um, explains a lot. But it was just funny. Like he asked, you know, a bunch of us. I'm like, oh no, man, I'm busy. Though. I was trying to be polite, but one of the girls, she's like, um, no, and he's like, but why not? She's like, because oh, I'm not a dork. Like, no, but you, you play board games because you can't afford a Nintendo, you know, back in the day. Do you know what I appreciate about that anecdote is the fact that she's used a word that was only popular when board games were popular. That's right. Dork. That's so, right. And she's she's on the later edge of of Gen Z. I mean, of, no, of, of the millennial generation. There you go. Yeah. So that guy, that poor bugger, is still crying out for a person to attend his house and play no, a board game. No, he has a... He, has a um, he, he brought the manual to work of how to play this game. It was like three... It was like, you know, it was like the Encyclopedia Britannica. You know, yeah. this thing had so many rules. I'm like, I don't want to play this fucking thing. I mean, Jesus Christ. I think at some level that's workplace harassment. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's an unusual form of it, but it is. Do you know, as an aside, you know, the only good thing about that Family Ties board game that I remember is it came with this big, thick wiggle pen. You know, those electric wiggle pens, which, as it turns out, ended up becoming a homage to Michael J. Fox. Now, before we come, Darius Boyd and orchestrate a ridiculous gender reveal party, just a reminder, you can follow the show on social media via the handle at Voluntary Tackle, but be warned, we're mainly on Twitter. You can also follow the wonderful Xander Risotto on the handle at Xander underscore TVT. Now, there is a bit of an elephant in the room. It's a 60-point elephant, Xander, and I want to get it out of the way really early. Uh, listeners of the show would be fully aware that we are Roosters fans, and we have just been resoundingly thumped by our greatest enemy, South Sydney, uh, 60 points to eight, I think it was. It's hard for me to remember because I, I actually became a little bit um, distressed in the last quarter and ended up hallucinating. I can't quite remember how it went. Where did we go wrong in that game, mate? It was it was a surreal experience, wasn't it? Like, I mean... I, you, I assume you never saw that coming. No, of course not. Like, I mean, we named a pretty strong side. I mean, there was, a, you know, Manu and, um, you know, Morris were rested. I think other than that, it was everyone was there. No, Isaac Liu, mate. Oh, that's true. Don't forget Liu, that. Liu was his He's turn. a game changer, mate. To be honest, he has been lately. He's um, actually been quite but, good. Uh, but he doesn't get the raps. No, he doesn't. He just plies his trade. It was a bizarre experience in that, you know, we played so poorly... And, you know, was so disinterested that I was, by by almost, um you know, like by the 60-minute mark, I was just kind of watching it with, 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 with a kind of detached curiosity. What you're describing there is a similar experience to rape victims. They talk about <laughs> being outside of their bodies during the assault. It sounds like... It felt you, a little bit like you're that. You're in so much shock yeah. that you ended up actually exiting your own physical body. Like, this is weird. This is not the um. This this were you this floating is, above the TV set at any point? It, it 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 felt somewhat like that. I mean, you know, it was a little bit like watching a Darius Boyd tackle. <laughs> we just weren't quite there. Yeah, mythical. Aren't they? You've never <laughs> you've just, only ever heard about them. You've never actually seen it. But no, I mean, I, I, I all I can say is that they they came out of the blocks in the first ten minutes, and it was just funny watching the narrative shift. Like the the commentators were talking about how sharp and slick the roosters. Yeah, looked. the roosters were on another level. They all said that eight I know, times. I know it was that really, fucking pissed me off. It was, early. it was really funny. I'm like, you know, you never know how these games are going to go, and it was just funny. You know, they they conceded a couple of quick tries, and it was almost like after that, 
they were like, oh, oh well, guess we're playing finals next week. Um, <laughs> Look, we're going to get into where we think we went wrong in a moment. Uh, but before that, how did you mourn the loss? Because for me, I ended up dressing up in my sister's clothes uh, and getting a pair of high heels and calling up my grandma and uh, well, we had a big long chat. That's how I handled it. What about you? Probably not going to surprise you. I, I went to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is what Xander Rosado does when he's distressed, by the way, everyone. He heads to the gym and tries to bench press as much as he possibly can. It's it, Tell you what, I had a great workout because I was so frustrated and pissed off. I smashed that workout and I came back feeling quite relaxed. I know, but at the same time, mate, you have a wife. That is also what they're for. That is true. Um, but you I, could do both. I, I, and I did. Um <laughs> Just for we didn't need to know that, right? <laughs> but but it was it was one of those things where I didn't want to be you know you don't want to be too aggressive in that mode. You want to be a little bit you want to be limbered up by the time you get to that That's point of the right. evening. No know. one wants Jared Hayne in their life, exactly. Or you know, I mean, allegedly, <laughs> <laughs> it should be seen. That's right now, fair to say that as you said, the bookies didn't see this result coming. Let's play a bit of a humility card here. Full credit to. Uh, particularly Cody Walker, I thought he had probably the best game of his career, to be honest. He's because a- nobody tried to tackle him, but he did have a very good game. Yeah, that's right. Now that we've got the formalities over there, <laughs> fuck you, South. Uh, no, but let's talk about the Roosters because it did look as though, at least beyond the first 10 minutes, that we were in a, a strangely kind of disengaged mode. Passive is how I would describe yeah, it. I mean, yeah. I've never seen the Roosters team since probably 2009 have that lack of cover defence. Did you mm. notice that in particular? When there was a semi-break made, no one covered for anyone. Yeah, no, there was... I mean, there's usually... Like, even even watching the, the scramble against the Sharks last week, they were... Like, Morris um, in that game, you know, mm. was covering from side to side. And this week, they just weren't trying. Like, it was almost as if Robbo had told them, get a good hit out, but don't overexert yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, But you know what? There's going to be a lot of listeners here. Well, not a lot. Probably 38. Um, thinking, oh, that's bullshit, boys. Just because the Roosters lost, now you're saying, oh, well, we, the, the coach probably said, don't try so hard. But we kind of feel like that actually might have been the well, case. Well, he did give them half the week off. Yeah, so that's what we do know. He yeah. he gave the team a lot more days off than he normally would. And then in the post-match press conference, he actually said some kind of odd things. That if We're kind of reading between the lines here, but something like he he's going to take full responsibility for it because... He didn't get the team prepared, and and perhaps I gave the wrong impression. Mm. Um, so we're wondering if he said something along the lines of, "Look, it, it, this is kind of a dead rubber. This game, it's mm. not a complete dead rubber. Like there are consequences to losing, but it, we were always short of a top four position." He may have said something to the team about maybe you know make sure you keep yourself fresh or some kind of injury prevention. What are your thoughts on that? Is that uh, possible? It's. I mean, it, it's. <sighs> I mean, he wouldn't have said, don't try. We know no, that. No, no, no. He, he wouldn't have said, go out there and get smashed 60 points to eight. He never said that. You, we know that. All he, I mean, the only thing I would... Because like, he, he's not he's not the kind of guy to say, yeah, don't try and get smashed by 60. Nobody wants to lose to... I mean, to that's the, an odd speech before the game <laughs> yeah. anyway, isn't it? All but, right, boys, gather around. Get smashed by 60, you cunts. But what you can imagine is he would have said, um, we need to keep our eyes on the prize, and that starts next week. But as a coach, surely he wouldn't have said something like that. Yeah, surely he wouldn't have evoked next week. I get the feeling maybe it would be about making sure you don't bust yourself to mm. a grind. Maybe you would say, "Don't go the yeah. 110." Well, that, that's that's kind of know. what I mean. Like, is that you know, obviously we want to, they wanted to beat South regardless. Yeah, 
Um, they that should be they would never, alone. You know, they would never have wanted to lose, let alone have 60 points put on them. But uh, I do think that, yeah, it's, it's quite possibly would have said, you know, I don't want you to, I don't, I don't want you to, um, you know, to cut your nose off to spite your face in this in this game, you know, to to put like to treat. Virgo like did grand. that once, remember? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's done that three or four yeah, times. He by the look cut of that his nose. own nose off uh, just because he was angry at his own face. After dropping that many balls, I'm not surprised. <laughs> he's a committed professional. Now, people have also pointed out Xander that no team has ever been beaten by a margin like this and gone on to win the premiership. Now, I don't know if this is trite, if this is just one of these expressions that get trotted out to fill content or not. But how do you feel about that as a Roosters fan? Do you think that this is the kind of margin which actually precludes us from taking out the premiership? Well, technically, it's not true. So if you do look through history, if you were, if you adjust for inflation... <laughs> Here um, we go. Anytime you bring up indexation, my dick goes up. <laughs> um, but there are sides. There was a guy who, who brought this up on Twitter earlier on. We had examples of sides. Sounds like a credible source. You know, it's one of the NRL stat gurus, right? Okay. You know, he's relatively trustworthy, but... Made the point that, yeah, there were a couple of sides in the sort of mid-century who'd had 40 points put on them leading into the, the finals. Um, he really dug into the archives, didn't he? But, you know, I mean, 40 points in the 80s and uh, before is um, more than a 50-point scoreline because there are three-point tries. Well, look, and particularly so, right, with the, the rule changes. Now, we were talking mm. about this before, but, you know, with, if you actually look at this season, it's got to be breaking some records in terms of points scored and blowouts. And I do wonder if there, it is on a relative scale here. So as much as that's a 60 points to eight drubbing, that's you're probably looking at 40 points under normal schema of things in the 90s, for example, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, or, or even last year. Like, yeah. to be blunt, I mean, you know, this year, and, and the Roosters have benefited from it, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the momentum shifts um, that have seen teams go on rolls this year have been unprecedented. And I, and I, I was saying before, uh, when we were discussing this uh prior to the recording, you know, it almost feels a little bit like the way the AFL is, you know, when you watch teams in the finals just get a roll on and they have that momentum and you just see these games where like, you know, so many of their big grand finals are just these one-sided walkovers because one team gets a roll on and it's really hard to shift the momentum in that game. Mm. And I think the NRL with this rule change has kind of come a bit that way and, and Gould and a lot of others have said, well, you know, it just means that the the bad teams get found out more. And I think that's that's true to an extent. But I also think there is, there's a, it's harder to get back into a game now at the, uh, at the same time because, you know, between the the uh, efficiency of the way they ruled the uh, the knock-on rule, um, you know, the, the attention over uh, all the other uh, aspects of the game, the removal of it, all the areas of contest for the ball... You know, you really, it's, it's really down to trying to control the ruck and you just can't even do that anymore. So as a product, let's just take a holistic perspective here because I think both you and I are sort of fans of the six again rule to a large degree and we like to see a faster game, rah, rah, rah. But in terms of these blowouts, that, that, make, that is actually something that's undermining the product, isn't it? Because who wants to sit down and watch blowouts unless you're the team supporting yeah. the team on top yeah i mean it's it's been thoroughly enjoyable when we've watched our team put 50 <laughs> points on but you're right but, i mean but you know what having watched the south game <laughs> it's not great i now fucking hate it yeah no i mean I, I i think that there is a um there is a genuine question there and the game has been over the last you know 30 years to be honest um been moving away from having any sort of contest for possession uh, in the sport they brought it back a little bit by allowing the one-on-one strip, which has evolved a little over the yeah, last which couple I've of seasons. enjoyed, actually. I think it's a good rule. Given the way it is now, I think you need to inject more uh, opportunities for a contest for the ball. 
and you know you're not going to bring back scrums that, that that just won't work and you're not going to you know like bring in lineouts or anything right so yep. so that's not going to be a so thing so where are you going what would you like to see injected uh, into rugby league uh two things i think the the knock on rule needs to be um changed so that it's the ball is only knocked on once it has hit the deck we saw this in the the tigers eels game today when wanga blake came in so he's contesting the ball and it kind of slides down Dewey's leg and there's a little bit of a bobble in there somewhere. Blake gets the ball and scores the try. And they, they look at it forensically and they find there's been a tiny little bobble here and there. And that, you know, therefore it's been a knock-on. They end up ruling it's a knock-on uh, against the Tigers first. So mm. the Eels get the ball back. Um, but really, like, why is that a knock-on? Like, I mean, it's, it, there is almost no separation uh, in that contest. And, it, and it's a genuine contest for the ball. I kind of feel like... Unless the ball hits the deck, it shouldn't be a knock-on. Like, there's enough, you know, that we get so pedantic and caught up in, in demanding perfection mm. uh, with, with control for possession. And I kind of feel like it's, in a sense, it's gone away from what the spirit of the rule was originally intended for. And that was basically, you didn't want, you know, forward passes and things that would be able to provide an opportunity for a team to get an advantage from an offside position. That's, that's fundamentally what the spirit of the rule originally was I'll, about. I'll, I'll play some devil's advocate for you, right? Because I think there's, some, there's definitely some merit in what you're saying. And I'm just imagining someone going up for a kick, for example, and having no control over it whatsoever. It bobbles forward three or four metres mm. into an opposition's feet. Mm. Because it hasn't hit the deck on the full, you're saying that wouldn't constitute a knock-on in that case. It, are, are there ripples where we can make the game a farce by implementing a rule like that? Is that what I'm asking? I mean, I kind of feel like it's a bit of a farce now. Like the fact that... Mm. that uh, I know I... the fans don't like the forensic nature of, mm. of the video ref analysing something nine times to try to see if someone if it's grazed someone's thumb. I think it, I think it, it, it actually simplifies it, right? Like because how many times is, has a ball ended up bound? I mean, if, you know, to be blunt, you know, if it touches the player's foot and the foot is on the ground... It's almost certainly going to hit a blade of grass, in which case it's a knock-on. Yeah, but what if it doesn't? In that scenario, I mean, there's going to be a case where it hits someone in the in the knee. Well, yeah, fine. Okay, play on. It's a. I mean, that, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is I want there to be more contest for the ball, and for the ball to be alive longer, and for there to be less excuse for the video ref to be pulling stuff up for pedantic, you know, um, attempts to seek perfection. Well, look, we're going to uh, to finish on the Roosters in particular here. They've been beaten 60 points to eight. Can this be used as motivation, do you think, for the tricolours going forward? Because there's been the words humiliation, embarrassment. These were words used by Trent Robinson, even. So I don't know if I'm going through the five stages of grief and this is just denial. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I was here for your anger one. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but but uh, like looking at all the headlines, everybody has written us off. And if I'm Trent Robinson, I am I am printing out and cutting out every article talking about how shit and humiliated mm. and what an embarrassment they were, yeah. and I'm putting that on the dressing room as motivation. Yeah, and and you know that that is like fundamentally, at this point, the only way to atone for a history making loss like that yeah. is to go on and win the fucking competition. Totally. And you know they will. Uh, you know I I think you can you can like. Bet your ass, basically, at this point, that they will be feeling like shit. They will have, regardless of whether or not Robinson had come out and told them, don't injure yourselves or something, and that was part of it, or they were just, you know, just had a really off night. Um, there will not be one player in that squad who will not be desperate to atone for what happened last night. And I actually am I'm, I'm pretty happy about that, particularly yeah. now that we're going only to Penrith and, and not to Suncorp. 
So I think there is some currency in that. But you know what I think Trent should also cut out and put up on the wall for motivation when it comes to the Roosters? Um, I'm going to take a guess that it's Wayne Bennett's stupid grin. Very close, mate. A naked picture of Bryce Gibbs. More after this. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Again, we've got no agenda here, Xander, but something that I did want to touch off on, um, and I hope you saw this, because otherwise the segment's going to go horribly. Uh, Darius Boyd, not known for putting on a show. Uh, we've seen him play the last couple of years. No, it's been a little while before he's been entertaining in any way, shape or form. Unless, of course, you've got money on the team playing against the Broncos, in which case you find him very entertaining because he's making you lots of money. But very recently... In fact, it was after the last game, he decided to orchestrate a sort of very elaborate gender reveal party on the field. I don't know if you saw this. I did, I watched. Where he actually picked up a football and kicked it and it exploded. So it was a big thing of pink fucking sherbet came out of this ball. And I remember thinking, wow, I often see that when someone tramples over the top of Darius, you know, just like basically the stuffing coming out of him. Um, But did you think that was – I noticed the the chairman of the Broncos came out and savaged him for it. How did you see that bizarre escapade? I mean, this this is one of those ones. It's it's almost a little exhausting that it's happened because it it feels like a nothing story, really. Like, I mean, if they win the game – it's just a little bit of an uh, acute. How dare aside. you, mate? We're bringing it up on the pod. But you know it's what I mean. Very like, newsworthy. If if they win the game, it's you know it's one of those things where they're like, oh, he's done a gender reveal, which for some reason has become a thing in the last ten years. Oh, so you think that people are only having a go at it because the Broncos lost? Oh, it looks really poor because they got they got beaten in the last game. It's his farewell game, and you know after the worst season in Broncos history. You've got uh, Darius and the team all cheery and looking ha- looking happy, and that's not a look that they want for the club. And to be fair, I mean, it's his final game. He, you know, he's, he's he would had have planned that before the game, yeah. right? It's so. his final game, and he's obviously he's not he's not going to plan that and say, "Well, I'm not going to do it if we don't win." And you know, it gives him something positive to cap off what has been a long and and for a long time an illustrious career. Mm. But it just it, it did feel like I mean, you know, maybe he should have done it at training. I don't know. Yeah, in front of the crowd. I mean, as you said, the whole team gathered around him and was yeah. cheering and laughing, which is kind of weird after your team's just bagged the wooden spoon. Yeah, it's it's. A, I mean, I think I think the the biggest criticism you could make is it's tone deaf. But you know, I mean, really, do we really care? I care a lot, mate. <laughs> I care heaps. You know why? Because I I, I hate all these bloody gender reveal parties. They've, well, they're, know, they're starting fires they're in starting California. Fire in the states, we know that much. I don't. I mean, I honestly don't get it. Like, why has it? But it was not a thing until about ten years ago, and all of a sudden you hear about them everywhere now. And it just it just seems like a, a really peculiar thing. Like, I mean, talking to my parents about it, they were just like, "Yeah, we got an ultrasound and worked it out." Ask the well, doctor. Yeah. I mean, normally it's it's a boy or it's a girl. Yeah, you either wait until they come out of you know uh, a woman's vagina. Thanks for being so prescriptive. <laughs> and or you just get an ultrasound and you find out beforehand so you can get a start on your names. Do you think what should happen actually is uh, other people delivering their baby and it comes out it's a girl and then suddenly Darius Boyd bursts into the operating room and kicks a ball and lots of pink fluff goes everywhere. I mean, my, my, my question more is around, you know, what, what happens, like, say, if a baby is born with both sets of genitalia and they're hermaphrodites, do do does he kick the ball and is it purple? What does I, that say? I think he should kick the ball and essentially a giant jellyfish comes out of it if it's a hermaphrodite. 
because they're known for changing genders. So are frogs. Yeah, maybe exactly. a frog comes out. Maybe, maybe a maybe, cane toad because, maybe. you know, they're from Queensland. Yeah, that should be what should have yeah. happened. Basically, he should have finished his career off by stomping on a cane toad. I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. And congratulations, Darius Boyd, on an illustrious career up to 2015. After that, it was complete shit. Uh, but look, talking about the Brisbane Broncos, we should talk about what happened up at Suncorp as well, uh, which was the flurry of wooden spoons that were thrown <laughs> yeah. onto the turf. Did you see feel, this story? Yeah, I watched the video, mate. Uh, Several times, in fact. But you had to feel for that poor um, groundsman or whoever it was who had to pick up all the wooden spoons. But you've got to love the Brisbane faithful who've gone out of their way to go to you know hardware stores and all kinds of places to buy big-ass wooden spoons and peg them into their training grounds. <laughs> i got to tell you, as you said, it definitely denotes a hell of a lot of effort. Oh. Uh, but what I will say, attention to detail, quite a few of those were spatulas. That's for the lazier of the Broncos fans who just went to Coles and were like, well, this is the best I can do. Well, they are from Queensland. Maybe they've never sort of distinguish the two implements. Maybe they see a wooden spoon as a spatula. That would explain why they have such difficulty eating in any with any decorum. <laughs> um, but Just look, pasting their food onto their face. This couldn't be any other club, though, could it? I mean, you couldn't imagine this happening for any other club getting a wooden spoon. We believe it's unprecedented, not to use a term mm. that's overly used during the COVID climate, but I don't think I've ever remembered a story of wooden spoons raining down on club headquarters like this. It's, it's a reflection of just how... how I mean, you know, this, this is a club that won six premierships, you know, in its first, what, 20 years of existence. Mm. You know, it is, it is not accustomed to this level of failure. And, you know, it is, the, it is the only team in a rugby league mad town. If you had to suspect anyone for doing this... Who do you think was the person responsible? There's or persons? A, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a WhatsApp group that apparently was spreading a lot of wild rumours about Anthony Seabold. That, that I think numbers in the hundreds that are all probably good suspects for something like this. Sticking on the theme of Queensland, Greg Inglis. Uh, a lot of talk this week that he's actually coming out of retirement to potentially play in state of origin at the end of the year. Uh, because there's not a lot going on in England. Obviously, he was supposed to play for the Warrington Wolves, wasn't he? He was. He's still contr- contracted to play there, and and the word is that yeah, that's been knocked on the head. Yeah, um, that he's he not getting play. enough pizza vouchers. That's from right. Big John's that's is it? Big John? No, no. The Warrington contract is is still going ahead. Okay, but like because he's got to play there next year, they're like, no, you're not playing Origin, mate. Oh, they're going to knock the idea on the head yeah. because they're worried about him hurting himself. Yeah. Well, I mean, they want him to have a, a full preseason with them, right? Okay. And well, when season. are they going to start? They're still racked by COVID, aren't they? Well, they're still playing Super League, right? Oh, okay. Well, I follow it that yeah. closely, obviously, that I didn't know that. Um, they've had a few big uh, cases where their teams have, have been... So is he playing over there at the moment? No, he's not. But they, they he's, he's contracted to start from next year. Right, okay. And um, so, yeah. Oh, I'll let him play Origin. Come on. It's not like anyone's going to be watching you. I think I think, I think think it was Kevin Walters as well who kind of said, yeah, no, it's, it's just not going to work. Well, let, Wasn't let, he medically retired? I think it was a bit of um, a, a bit of a grey area around whether or not he was medically retired. I think as it came out, Souths were at pains to say he actually technically wasn't. That's right. It was yeah, a Greg Inglis led decision. Burgess was, but but Inglis and they paid his full contract out. Yes, so technically, exactly. so technically he could. It was just he he wasn't fit to play anymore. But he, yeah, where it was almost a decision where Greg felt he couldn't give his best to the club mm. and said, "I want out." Because yeah. I don't think I can deliver what you want of me. So technically not medically retired, although his body was racked with injury. Mm. Um, let's play the thought experiment. Say he does actually come out and play and get sanctioned to be able to play in the Queensland side. A, does he make the team? And B, if he does, how do you think he'd go? 
Well, Walters will pick him purely out of sentiment if he makes himself available. Mm. Um, so Is that how it works with selection? Just sentiment? If you're a Queenslander, yeah. Okay. Um, so they could pick Artie Beetson at prop? or <laughs> they, Look, mate, if they could dig him up, they well might. Yeah, well, it's um, all possible. Got to think creatively these days. Got to pivot. But, you know, to be honest, I hope they do pick him. Beetson? <laughs> Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Well, for a, a very rare occasion, uh, Xander, we're actually going to talk about something quite serious, which is not our style, so we probably won't do it well. Something pretty awful coming out of the uh, Gold Coast Titans-Newcastle Knights game was an allegation of racial abuse um, from Mitch Barnett on Tyrone Peachy. The, the language is vulgar and it's obviously quite racist, so I won't repeat it now. Uh, and at this stage, I should stress it's still an allegation, although the, the video doesn't look good if I'm going to be honest. I guess I wanted to know if if it does come out that this uh, was said to Tyrone Peachy from Mitch Barnett, Xander, I wanted to get your thoughts on what the punishment should be because obviously the, the game is uh, at great pains to make sure that our image uh, and our behaviour standards uh, don't accept racism in any, any way, shape or form. It's actually pretty damaging to have a player in 2020 come out and still use that kind of language. It's surprising. I mean, it just, it just, I mean, obviously the Knights are in a pretty precarious position at the moment and mm. they're starting to fray at the edges and the whole team is under stress. But I guess what it shows is that under stress, people do kind of show their true character, right? And so Barnett's, you know, in his frustration, has gone straight for racism. Yeah. Uh, if if the allegations are proven true, is there any defence there with heat of the moment, or is it just a blanket? You just I'm, obviously I'm not defending his comments. Is there any defence whatsoever for that being more acceptable than in regular life, for example, than to do it at a supermarket? Yeah, I mean, I think you know Michael Richards tried that defence. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was agitated, mate. He was agitated up there. <laughs> he was uh, he was quite more emphatic about his racism yeah. on the night from memory. You know, and. Uh, but it's it's in the it's in the it's it's on a spectrum, but it's in the same category, right? Yeah. Yep. You know, frustration and all the rest of it, and you know, you wouldn't think that if you're playing rugby league, you're obviously not a deeply racist person because it is a very multicultural game, and mm. it is a. Well, a, there are exceptions to every rule, aren't they? There, I mean, there are, but I mean, if you're a white supremacist playing rugby league, you've got your work cut out for you. That's because, right. <laughs> you know, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, try being try being a white supremacist and having having a you know a hundred and twenty kilo Tongan run at you. Mm. But but you know my my point is that I mean I I think when you when you sort of get down to brass tacks you wouldn't you wouldn't find too many out and out racists in the rugby league because you know they live every day uh, with people from different backgrounds. It'd yeah, be hard it's an to extremely be. multicultural sport. Yeah, it'd be hard to be. Um, so you would think it was probably something that it, that was more heat at the moment, but it's still. It's still very poor, yeah. and if it does come, you know, and if it is proven, then you know you need to have. I mean, look, I'll put it this way: if Proctor's um, getting a number of weeks for for a half bite, then a, you know, calling somebody what was alleged to have been used probably deserves a few weeks. Well, I mean, interestingly, there's been a lot of calls for things like life bans. I mean. Do you think that's too far? And again, by the way, I don't agree with the heat of the moment argument. I was just sort of throwing that out there for conversation and, and for, to play devil's advocate. I don't think it's acceptable personally mm. under any circumstances. But life ban strikes me as maybe too harsh. Yeah, life bans silly. I mean, if 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 this was something you know sustained, but yeah, I mean, you're talking about a team that is is falling apart. Uh, like you say, the um, uh, the excuse of um, heat of the moment isn't 
uh, is isn't fair. Like it's not it's not something you can you no. can just it's a poor flip excuse. It off with. Yeah, but I mean we've already seen with with fans that they've talked about life bans for fans who've used the racist slurs. I think it was they won at the Panthers game. Yeah, which seemed to be resolved because Naden actually accepted their yeah. apology. And I think that's where you kind of want this to go. I mean, you don't want to... I mean, I, I actually do think that in cases like this, and, and, and um, Paul Kent made this point, um, as much as I don't always like to agree with Paul Kent, but he made this point on Matty Johns' podcast. White one prick. Of them. <laughs> um, but, you know, he said, you know, and, and he's right um, when he says that if you ban people for life for stuff like this, you know, you kick them out of the tent, you probably risk making the issue worse. What you want is you want people to reconcile and you want you want to have a conversation with them. You want them to understand why it's not acceptable. So if they're eating the cases where people are repentant, obviously. Mm. So if, for example, in those in that situation, it didn't happen. But if the, the fans who um, had a go at Naden mm. were doubled down. Oh, well, yeah. Then, then, then in that case, then fuck, fuck them. Fuck them off for fuck life, em. right? Yeah, exactly. You know, absolutely. But if they're repentant and you can, you can bring the parties together and, and make it a dialogue yeah. in which, you know, you say, listen, this is why this is unacceptable. You have to understand how this feels for me coming from where I come from. Yeah. Then you actually make it so- into something constructive. Hmm. And I guess it also matters that Naden accepted their apology. Yeah, exactly. So um, in cases, I mean, would it change if a, a player didn't accept it and thought, well, no, that was deeply hurtful and I don't want you turning up to any more of my games. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's uh, I guess it's a matter... It, it probably is almost up to the to the individual cases. It's a tricky one. Mm. You know, the game probably has to ultimately make a call, but, you know... The, the Maybe there should be some hard and fast rules about it. I don't think you want hard and fast rules or something like this. I, I actually do think that this is where you, something where you want nuance to play a role. You know, this is a tricky one. Like, I mean, you, yeah. you, you talk, we're talking about a society... Uh, where people are increasingly siloed and, you know, as a whole, we've become quite balkanized. I mean, it's not as bad in Australia as other parts of the world. Hmm. You know, you don't want to be pushing people away. You you do want to, you do want to keep people. Cut some slack for those of us following Alex Jones' Twitter feed, for example. (laughs) I think we want to, we want to have as much of a, uh, a shared dialogue as possible. It's kind of what I'm getting at. So let's go back to the Mitch Barnett case. If he is indeed found guilty of this, what punishment would you like to see handed down? I think he, I think he sees a, a fair stint on the sidelines for it. Um, but I think you also look at it media, from an mediation standpoint. You get mm. them together and you, you know. What about the idea of him having to do some community service, for example, working with some indigenous mm. communities? No, I, th- I think Is there a way you can actually re- turn this around and yeah. make it a positive story? That, that's kind of what I mean when I say mediation. Like, right. you know, you obviously get him um, together with the players to talk about basically why, why this isn't okay. Mm. But you also, yeah, you get him involved in some of those programs. So he kind of yep. gets it and sees it from the other side. A bit like the, the Fenua Blake yeah. incident earlier in the year where I, I actually don't know if he ended up following through on this or not, but uh, I thought the idea there was that he actually would work with some communities of people who were intellectually disabled as well. So it kind mm. of un, like it, it pushes through that meaning. Uh, when people transgress like this, sometimes using terminology that they may not fully understand, it actually allows them to. It's a great. It's a great optics for the game for a start, but also helps mm. actually, I guess, consolidate why that was such a bad thing in the first place. Some of these players may not be aware sometimes of the power of language. I think people do with race yeah. these days, but clearly, I don't think in the Fanua Blake case. Oh no, he had a full understanding of how crass he had been. Well, no, of course not. And you know, to be blunt, like I mean, growing up, everyone threw that term around. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah, like you know, and then and then you go back to our parents' generation, and everyone threw. The, the terminology that I'm sure that Mitch Barnett's alleged to have Yeah, um, 
got a story. I mean, it's, you know, I have, we've come have, a long way in a generation. I have mate. a story for you afterwards about what my uh, my dad's older brother used to call him uh, growing up. Oh, are we allowed to hear it here or not? Or is it not for public consumption? I think it's probably not for public consumption. Oh, you've just teased our audience yeah. now. Do well, you know the thing I always think about with this stuff, Xander, is you've already pointed it out. It's a multicultural game. Mitch Barnett, having been accused of this, and his teammates may have even heard this, then has to head into the sheds with his team, which contains a number of different races in it. I mean, that's got to be tough for a start, doesn't it? Because it's got to be players in his own team now mm. who think he's a racist dickhead. Yeah, well, I mean, it probably has simultaneous impact. It divides the Knights and it creates a um, a rallying effect for the Titans, right? And we kind of saw that, you know, the Titans rolled over them. Yeah, You know, you're doing nobody any favours. So the Titans are going to rally around Peachy, obviously. But they just gave them more motivation. Yeah. I agree with you. It can't, it's certainly not something that's going to help you from a team perspective. I'm just wondering what, what the pennants should look like because I, hopefully this is not something we're going to see very much of in the future because I think you're right. I don't think it's an endemic problem in rugby league by any stretch. But obviously no, no sport is perfect. What should be the consequence of someone actually coming out and using this language? And what is it in terms of apology? Mm. Should he have to pay a fine? Uh, and how long is he out for? I'm thinking give him a, you know, maybe five or six weeks out for something like this, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean... Because it is unacceptable and it's not something the game wants to see. That sounds... I mean, you, you, He's brought the game into disrepute. Yeah, yeah I, I think you're right. I think that's, that's, the, that's the way of putting it. I mean, it, four to five weeks sounds about right. Just remember, it could always have been worse, Peach. You could be playing AFL and have any Maguire claim your blackness is just too scary for him. More after this. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. We're talking Craig Bellamy, otherwise known as Bellyache, otherwise known as John Hancock, uh, but only to a select number of people who are familiar with his penis. Uh, but the only reason we're bringing him up on the show today, Xander, is because he's been very adamant about not coaching past 2021. He's contracted to the Storm until the end of next season. And although he said a number of times in the past, I'm done with coaching and then signed a contract extension, he has been pretty emphatic this time, I have to admit, in telling everyone I'm definitely not coaching anymore. But it looks as though this week uh, he's dropped quite a few hints that he may be interested in heading up to the Brisbane Broncos, not as their coach, but as a coaching director. Now, um, I, I assume you're familiar with this story, but what I want to ask you first up is, what value would Craig Bellamy bring to the Brisbane Broncos, a shattered franchise? Uh, it does have some good gender reveal parties, but apart from that, doesn't play a lot of good football. They don't know who their CEO is. They don't know who their coach is. It's a fucking basket case. And yet Craig Bellamy's thinking I might be their coaching director. Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, he's all he's been linked with a lot of clubs. He's been linked with the new um, uh, Dolphin side out of Redcliffe, right? Well, not mm. new, but the, the Redcliffe. Well, the proposed. The proposed, yeah, yeah Redcliffe Dolphins uh, expansion into the NRL. I mean, people will be throwing themselves at Craig Bellamy in the coaching world. Obviously, a lot of chicks as well because he's a hot man. But, I mean, he's hot property in rugby league is what I'm saying. He is, and he solves a couple of problems for them, right? I mean, he'd be in a director role. It's, it's a bit of an awkward one in that, um, you know, what they likely have Walters in the saddle and he'd be overseeing Walters almost and giving him guidance. If Walters gets the job, yeah, right? But he, he'd, he'd have that job in 21. It almost would seem like if it didn't work out, it ended up just falling to Bellamy in 2022 mm. and he would probably just end up taking over the full gig it's, it's a bit tricky what does a coaching director do do i feel like this is one of these roles that i never fully understand yeah at, actually at a, at a nuts and bolts level 
what they're doing. I assume it's meant to be responsible for the higher strategic goals of the club. And they're almost like sense. a coaching coach, right? I mean, it's a little bit like what Gould had with Ricky in the early uh, noughties with um, with Stewart, right? When he was coaching the Roosters. And, yeah. and again, when but he was at the Panthers. You never really were sure what Phil was doing. Yeah. I was more clear on what Phil was doing at the Panthers, but not so much at the Roosters mm. for some reason. I, I know he talks a lot about systems and and recruitment and getting the pathways. Is that essentially what Craig Bellamy would be doing at Brisbane? You, you would, on their you would think so, right? Because, I mean, you know, what has he built at Melbourne? He's built a, he's built a machine there that can churn out players who will seemingly come in from underperforming clubs and all of a sudden they slot into that Melbourne system and, you know, six months in they're, they're playing like stars because they're doing, you know, they, they've, they've been taught the Melbourne way Mm. And um, their their role has been defined quite specifically, and their expectations have been set. Except quite for Sandor Earl, for some reason, he <laughs> he never really lived up to that. But grade. even even him this year, he hasn't been too bad, right? So you know, I mean, in that system, not many players like they 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 pick players quite precisely, right? They don't just take anybody. Mm. Um, Which is again the Sandor Earl thing's odd, isn't it? <laughs> but you know what I mean. He like is anybody. They to took me. Jerome Hughes, who was anybody, and he's he's been all right. I think I think he was always a solid player, to be honest. Jerome right. Hughes. He he's, he's certainly improved. Oh, he's he's improved out of sight. Yeah, right. Especially in that seven. I never. He was never a seven. No, exactly. And and, and that is that is a difference, right? Is they they'll pick up a player like Jerome Hughes for a song because everyone thinks he's. Not got much going on. What song on. was it? Was uh, it Otis Redding's "On the Dock of the Bay"? I think I think it was a. It was definitely not a seven-figure song. Okay, um, good to know that Craig Bellamy's recruiting on the back of his vocals. <laughs> Have you seen him in the in the coaching box? I tell you what, I, I, he can shake the glass with the best of them, mate. But, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, got I, some death metal. Like you compare that to say spending a million dollars a season on Anthony Milford. Yeah, you know, like is, that. That is that is what he's there to rectify the, the rugby league equivalent of suicide. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, like honestly, that is, that is that is what the role would be. You would think it would be, for, mm. as you said, that high level strategic thinking. And if Kevin Walters comes in, doesn't work out as a first grade coach, well, he's a pretty bloody good interim coach, isn't he? I know, but I get the feeling Craig does not want to do that anymore. So I don't think the lure for him is, I'll go up there as be a coaching mm. director, and if all goes to shit, I'll just fill in as the coach. I don't think he wants to coach full stop anymore. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And and I do hear that the Melbourne Storm. Uh, CEO is potentially going to take up the CEO position at mm. Brisbane as well, and Melbourne are very, very unhappy about this. Yeah, I mean that'd be a major coup if they end they up got, getting hmm. Craig Bellamy as coaching director and the CEO of the Melbourne Storm as well. Yeah, does that mean Smith is on the way as well? I mean, uh, I'm possibly, yeah. mate, possibly. So Get the trifecta. It's almost doing like a hair transplant, yeah. but between rugby league clubs, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, no, it'd be it'd be fascinating to see. I mean, Jesus, the the implications for the Storm would be. Awful. Yeah, where would that leave them? We've no mm. Craig Bellaby, the CEO, gone. Cameron Smith retiring. That's that's three major aspects mm. of the club eroding within the space of twelve months. Yeah, you, you, I mean, if you if they keep, I mean, if they lose Smith, um, and then Sandor Earl, he'll be gone soon. <laughs> but if if they lose if they lose Cam Smith, I mean, you don't you'd almost want him to hang around and take the head coaching role. Well, he's been pretty adamant, Cameron Smith, that yeah. he, coaching is not what he wants to I do. I know, I've, I've heard that, but he, he looks cut out for it. I mean, everyone knows that. That's yeah. the funny thing, isn't it? Because they, they he's effectively been coaching the Melbourne yeah. Storm on the field for a decade. And we know he's probably one of the clueiest mm. rugby league players to ever don a jersey. So, bastard. I know. And, and did you read, I don't know if you read this story, uh, I think it was in the last week. You may have even sent this to me, I'm not sure. 
Uh, but they were talking about Cooper, Cooper Cronk and Cameron Smith being in the same origin team and apparently both senior guys and mm. considered leaders. And they're about to go into a big origin game and apparently Cooper Cronk sat everyone down and gave them a pretty long, articulate speech and quite inspiring. And uh, Cameron Smith spoke at the end and went, yeah, just don't let me down, cunts. And I thought, in a way, that's probably not the kind of thing that you would say makes... It's not the kind of speech that reflects you're an amazing coach. But then they went on and won that game. So, you know, he's effective. Yeah, it's probably... It's, it's a nice tag that, team. As a, as a coaching speech, that you probably only say that once. It's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a nice tag team, isn't it? You know, like a, a, a long, articulate explanation of what it all means and then some... And a very senior playing saying, no, don't fuck it up. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And there's a chalk and cheese mentality yeah. between the two as well. One's the consummate... Well, they're both consummate professionals, but one... Um, one's I guess the erudite. Pol- yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, okay, let's again play the thought experiment. Say Cameron Smith goes along to the Brisbane Broncos uh, in the, in 2022. I mean, he's not going to be there as a player, is he, by that stage? Because that's as early as uh, Craig Bellamy can get there. Because he's down at the storm until 2021. To be honest, do, do we know he's not going to be playing in 2022? I mean, Jesus, he's, he's the Tom Brady of rugby league. And that Brady's still going around in his 50s, I think it is. I, you know what? I can't refute that. Mm. I don't know. He could potentially still be playing. Brad Thorne was still playing, I think, you know, some level <laughs> I of I swear every road here leads back to Brad Thorne. Well, it, it, <laughs> it, it's, it's always what it reminds me of because he was still playing, I think, what, up until 40, he was still saying playing some professional footy. Mm. And you know what? He's a fucking good backgammon player too. <laughs> well, it's that time of the show again for Media Watch Mario Madness. Great to have you back on the pod. Uh, before we start, it should be noted uh, that at the in the review of the last episode, uh, you were quite critical of the audio on the voluntary tackle, weren't you? I, I literally couldn't hear myself. I mean, I always skip the segment involving myself anyway, but I could not hear myself at all. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to be great for the listeners. Yeah, but do you not think that maybe that sort of an added charm because we the kind of the nature of the show is to be a bit unwieldy, wonky, and inaccurate. So I kind of feel like to have you on a muffled audio tone almost suits the tenor of the show. Look, maybe, but I think that the forty-seven people that actually listen to this show, you know, maybe they listen to it in spite of my presence. But I like to think, with my massive ego, that at least two or three of them enjoy my segment. Forty-seven, mate. Jesus, that's you. You're laying it on thick. I know, I was gonna... oh, I've gotten a couple of my friends onto it, so it got us above the you know the forty mark. Thank you, mate, and also obviously big shout out to my Greek in-laws. That's the only reason we're above the forties, um, mate. Look, we wanted to chat a little bit about Manly first and foremost. You've been a died in the wall Manly fan. I want to talk about one Kieran Foran because it's become concrete this week that he signed a one-year deal with you guys, and I want to get your take. Is that a good or a bad thing? He's supposedly not on a lot of money. But rumours go both ways about whether the second year of his contract is in his favour or in our favour. If it's in his favour, I don't like it because I just don't see him playing more than 15 games in the season two years in a row. It's just, it's a bit much to ask of a guy with hammies that make Tommy Turbos look solid. It's interesting about that remuneration aspect because I heard he was getting actually paid in poker machine credit. Can you verify that? Kieran Foran is there more to train Schuster and Cust in how to in how to be as good as he used to be back in 20, 
let's say, early 2014. Kieran Foran hasn't been good since then. Um, so if he can impart some of his knowledge and abilities on rugby league towards them, then sure. If he's trying to teach them how to be decent human beings, then we're fucked. So just to be clear there, Kieran Foran's hamstrings haven't been good since 2014, right? Like He's actually still a genuine quality player, I think. Is your critique of him mainly his body, or do you actually have a wider criticism about the way he plays as well? No, his rugby league play and ability, I do still rate. His ability as a human, I'm not a fan of, and his hamstrings, I'm in general, biscuititis. I think we've got enough of that at our club, and we've got the worst team physio in the competition by a long way. I don't know that taking on another guy who can't play two or three games in a row is really a great idea, but... He may well have some rugby league knowledge to impart on Cust and Schuster, who are hopefully what Des see as our future. There is, there is talk that Schuster could actually walk from the club if Kieran Foran got signed, uh, because that could potentially sort of inhibit his development, because obviously he wants to be around the halves. Can you give us any insight into that? Is there a chance that he might actually leave the club because Kieran Foran signed? Okay, two things. One, everything I've heard suggests that that story was complete bullshit. But even if it wasn't, I would say, fuck off, bitch, because the guy's played, what, one game for our club in first grade? If he thinks that he deserves, automatically deserves the first grade spot over Custom Kieran Foran just because he, you know, of his ego, then he can get fucked. I don't want him at the club. However, I don't believe that is the case, and I don't believe that he has entertained any thoughts in that direction. So if you are listening, Schuster, uh, to be clear, Mario's not sure on whether or not you should be fucked or not, um, just depending on the veracity of the story. But, you know, you should know this, Mario. He is a millennial, and as all millennials, they want to make a difference with their life. So uh, the idea of Kieran Foran and coming in inhibiting his progression in the club, I can see that from a, an ultra-Gen Z perspective, to be honest. Well, make up your mind. Is he a millennial or a Zoomer? Because those are two different things, and he, he might be bordering on the... T- in between the two generations. So Mate, I'm, I'm, too, I'm too old to make that distinction, so I'm not going to attempt to on the show today. Um, I wanted to talk about Brad Parker because I talk about him with you every week and I feel like it's almost no tradition. wants to talk about Brad Parker. Well, I, he came out today, mate. He's very vocal. He said, look, if Kieran Foran comes to the club, um, he said, I'm going to fight for my centre spot because the idea is that Kieran Foran will take up the number six, therefore squeezing Walker to the centres, and therefore squeezing Parker to be the glassy out at Maitland. Uh, so where do you see that? Brad Parker is not a first-grade player. However, I would still prefer him at centre than Dylan Walker. I want Dylan Walker to move promptly in about a, about 500 kilometres west of Perth and stay there forever. How South would, Africa? Yeah, South Africa. How does that sit with you? I don't think I think South Africa is actually a bit too far west of Perth. I'd rather him somewhere in the middle. How should Parker and Walker fight out for that position, mate? Is there a, a contest that they could duel in? I'm thinking maybe a Cougar Magnum at ten paces, but what did you think? Okay, how about they can have some sort of a contest where the, it's an automatic victory to the person who's not a piece of shit. Oh, look, Parker can stay. So uh, you know, now that we've we've covered the uh, the vanilla topics and haven't gone anywhere controversial, um, <laughs> just uh, just wondering, mate. There's obviously been a lot of talk about Tommy Turbo um, after his him coming back last week and and seeming to do his or well, do a, a fairly nasty shoulder shoulder in, in injury. 
Uh, looks as if it isn't that bad, and there is talk that he still might make Origin. I mean, as a Manly fan and a Blues fan, do you want? Do you think he should play Origin? As a Blues fan, no. As a Manly fan, no. What I think is more telling is the fact that our club physio called it just a stinger and said, "Oh yeah, he should be right to keep playing, or he'll be fine to, you know, to he'll be perfectly fine. Don't worry about it." when everybody with half a brain cell could see that wasn't the case. And mind you, everyone in rugby league knew he shouldn't have been playing around 19. Manly fans and non-Manly fans, no one except, you know, Queensland fans wanted him playing that game. But interesting, Mario, apparently Brad Fittler has a lot of respect for your club doctor, and he had a chat with him, (laughs) and that was the reason that he's going to include Tommy Turbo in the squad, according to Freddie. That's right. I actually hear that um, that was where he got the advice um, that he gave the Blues uh, players in his first year as coach for Origin, where he got them to drink seawater. Yeah, so he sounds like he's a textbook physician. (laughs) Fucking hell. Let's just get him some peptides and call him Dank, because the guy's (laughs) got nothing upstairs. How does the song go again? Seawater, water all around, so let's all have a drink. I think that's what Homer Simpson very famously said. That's right. Mate, I want to wrap up on this when it comes to Manly. Uh, Fanua Blake, he's officially going to the Warriors. And I understand uh, there's a a young guy that you've locked in uh, as his replacement. Now, I'm not familiar with him, and I want to get your take. I assume you are. I hope I'm getting pronunciation correct. Tanilia Paseka, is that right? Paseka, apparently, although I'm sure we're pronouncing that wrong anyway. Uh, he, he's, he's always should have been a gun until the last few weeks he has not been. He's, he's an absolute monster of a person and looks like he, he should be a great player for a lot of years. But we've had, Manly have had players like him in the past that haven't really gone on to be what they should have been. Names such as Billy Weepu and Solomon Hamono. Steve Menzies. I'm just going to hang up now. <laughs> I love the beaver, mate. Don't you worry. <laughs> we all love a good bit of beaver. But the, um, the guy that... Uh, the, the thing that has been making me really the most pissed off with one Des Hasler the last few weeks has been Hamoli, our backup prop, who looks a bit like Paseca in terms of shape. And he played one, maybe two games for us and was awesome and then got promptly dropped to reserve to, you know, to not playing anywhere so that Des could keep the guys of the calibre of Waddell and and Boyle, who uh, even though we already knew they'd signed with the Bulldogs, he kept playing them and they suck over this young guy who hasn't signed with a rival club. So that sort of stuff just makes no sense to me at all. So Mario, I mean, I know over the past few episodes you've... Um You've really expressed your emotional attachment to, to Dez and uh, you know just what a great coach he is and how he's manly through and through. But if if you couldn't have Dez as coach, who would you want in the saddle to, to turn the team's fortunes around? I hear actually Trent Barrett might be willing to have another crack at it if the dog's gig falls through. Okay, look, I may not be a huge fan of Dez's decision-making at the moment, but let's not be crazy here. The the problem certainly is that there are, if if, all we're going to look at, Manly have this thing where we will only sign ex-Manly players. Now, I don't believe that, you know, David Gillespie never stepped up from coaching young kids. Um, Jeff Toovey, not an option, let's be real, he's done. The, The only ex-Manly player that realistically looks a half-decent chance of being a coach is Scott Fulton. 
and he's doing pretty well in the junior grades with Manly, or he was when they were happening. Um, but he was an absolutely atrocious player, and that just makes me a bit scared. But then again, that's not necessary for being a good coach. I'd probably say Scott Fulton would be the the person to replace Des should Des leave, just based on it having to be an ex-Manly player because that works out so well for the Dragons. Mate, I'm going to finish off with one question here. It's about the great Greg Inglis. Uh, a lot of talk uh, in the last couple of weeks about him making an origin comeback. Um, but this would be a remarkable story if it comes true. How do you think GI would go on the big stage of origin again? Look, if they put him at fullback, he'd probably be better than Ponger, but that's not hard. Um, it, whereas more likely they'd want him back at centre because their centre stocks are an absolute joke. To be fair, he'd probably be better than the centres they've got. So I think he could actually improve them, even even if he's you know just fat drunk English. Do you reckon it might be an issue that a fully fit English at uh, centre and captaining the side didn't stop them getting thumped? I mean, having having not played for twelve months, injury recovering English come in without. Any origin for, for that amount of time, do you think he's, he's really going to perform there? I mean, it just seems like he'd be lambs to the slaughter. I think it's just a complete... It's about as realistic a chance of happening as a, as a Queensland player actually missing a game through flu. You know, every year we hear this sort of oh, yeah. garbage about things that are or not going to yeah. happen for Queensland. doesn't happen. No, you're right. I've actually heard that on the on the, on the the English front um, that Warrington and his deal with them starting next year, basically they've said that they want him in pre-season training, so they're, they're not going to let him. Uh, but, you know, it was a nice little exper- experiment uh, for, for Thurston to, to say he wanted them him to come back and help smash the Blues. But, you know, tough luck, Maybe mate. Thurston. Maybe Thurston should go back and play for them. I'd love that just so just so somebody could snap him in half after that comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if Thurston's last year at the Cowboys is any indication, then a couple of years out of retirement, it's not going to make him any better a player. No, in fact, in that last year, Jonathan Thurston's headgear actually was more agile than him. Um, so I can't see him coming back and making a fantastic um, origin comeback story, although... It would make for an, a, an amazing documentary, I think, if we, uh, a bit like, I don't know if you remember the great Ian Thorpe's documentary, when years and years after uh, his success and his body was a bit flabby, he decided, I'm going to make a big comeback and got the documentary crew together and they filmed him going to training for a year and leading up to it. Uh, and then he just missed the cut. He missed the trials. It's a little bit like that documentary, uh, Sunderland Till I Die. I mean, they, they set it all up, I think, initially thinking that they were going to help him, like, get promotion or something yep. and it's basically just a, a long funereal march watching them fail again yeah it's just, a, <laughs> it's just like yeah. although that's know. a great thing about docos is you know it you can just spin it yeah well, it doesn't have to be the three-act narrative where the person is successful at the end i like quite liked the fade to black and thorpey looking disappointing on on the on the starting blocks i thought that was funny that was. Now surely, surely, Xander, there was some sort of a rugby reference you could have made then. You've really let yourself down. I was going to actually reference um, the, the, the Matt Damon Springboks movie, but I just can't do the accent. <laughs> Even could he. It was <laughs> yeah, a shit movie. I think joke. he wants us to win the World Cup. Uh, we anyway. Need to, we need to tackle this Lemu guy. <laughs> have you seen this guy playing rugby? <laughs> Terrible. Uh, look, we'll probably end it on a really strange Matt Damon, poor South African accent. Mario, thanks again for joining the pod. Uh, always a pleasure. Thanks, boys.
Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Well, obviously, in our quest here on the show to get all sorts of perspectives uh, when it comes to team performance, obviously, we've got BD Moch Mario when it comes to the Manly Seagulls, and we had Giannis Mateus last week talking about the calamity that is the St. George Illawarra Dragons. This week, we have another treat for you on the show. This time, look, for those who have been with us from the beginning, you may recognise this voice. It's uh, He goes by the name of Ernie. That's because that's his name. And he's a massive West Tigers fan. In fact, he's such a fan that if you actually get the, t- the name wrong and call it West Tigers without the S, he will attempt to chop your dick off. Welcome to the show, Ernie. Hello. Mate, we're fantastic. Uh, well, we shouldn't say fantastic. Obviously, our team got flogged by 52 points or something yesterday. I can't remember the final score because I was delirious. But apart from that, we're, we're trucking along pretty well. Good to hear. But, mate, we're here to talk about the Tigers because, look, you're obviously a massive fan and uh, you can let the listeners know you were a Wests fan before that. So you're actually even a longer-suffering fan than most, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah, that's right, yeah. One way you look at it, I guess, is um, we're actually sort of fortunate now to be West Tigers, part of the West Tigers. So, um, believe it or not, it's actually an improvement from uh, the West Magpies days. <laughs> that's right. When we were first mates, you were a Magpies fan, and I do remember, uh, you know, some of those teams back then under Tommy Radonikus. Could you tell us a little bit about the guy you called John the Baptist? Just John the Baptist, yes. He was uh, he's a forward that you don't get too often to see in the NRL. Um, about five foot seven. Um, eight stone ring wet, didn't have a step on him, no speed. So there, there weren't many attributes there, but you know, he gave it a go. Yeah, but he had a very sexy beard from memory, and that's all you really needed back then. Exactly. Yeah, he was a ladies' man. <laughs> to be to be fair, mate, they were they were a, a real force there for for at least a couple of years. What did they win four premierships in the end. I mean, those glory years of nineteen fifty two, mate. I mean, you know. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure Ernie reflects upon those years fondly. Yeah, we did. Yeah, well, you know, I like we like to keep it consistent. You know, we spread out. You know, one every twenty years, or over about you know an or, eighty or seventy. Span. You know, yeah. Well, you know, it makes them it makes them count more and feel like something that's exactly. more special. Mate, um, on the Tigers season, um, there's been a lot of conjecture, obviously, about the Tigers this year, and I do wonder sometimes if it's just media driven because people like Phil Gould, for example basically think the Tigers finished exactly where they should have, or at least exactly where he felt they were going to finish. So I wanted to get it from the horse's mouth from a fan. In terms of when the the season started and where they're finished today, do you think this has been a successful season from the Tigers, or do you think that it's a a failure? Um, Well, it's a a bit of a tough question, really. Like To be honest, I feel like they've probably slightly overachieved in finishing in 10th. Um, I guess with the NRL nowadays, you look at our team and you tend to think they're quite good. But then you compare it to other rosters and you sort of realise, hmm, we're probably sitting around that sort of 12th or 13th in the comp in terms of rosters itself. So it's just it's just a very competitive, tough comp. So unless you've got the talent there, uh, it's, you're going to find it very hard to make that top eight. You know, we don't really have that sort of that full game breaker or a forward pack that gets any dominance. So it's probably about where you'd expect us to be. Uh, mate, uh, you know, they, they have obviously finished roughly the same position about ninth <laughs> most seasons. Um, I suppose that the, the, the question a lot of people have been asking is, is just watching the, the way the teams have fared over the seasons and, and attrition rates. Is Madge the right guy for the job? I mean, there's sort of been criticism within the club that he's... Um, you know, uh, overworked players. You know, Madison famously said that he, he didn't think that um, they looked after his body the way that, he, you know, he hit, uh, experienced when he was at the Roosters. Is, is Madge the right fit? Is he going to be the one that brings him success? Um, yes, yeah, again, it's, it's a very tough question, Alana. It goes both ways. So he, 
yes, we're pretty much taken over from Ivan, who left us in a bit of a sore spot. So, sort of purchasing players of the likes of Madalino, Reynolds, and Packer for about two million a year each. Sort of <laughs> <laughs> really hurt the salary cap there. Um, and obviously, we know Chris McQueen was such a great buy as well. Um, <laughs> I saw him struggling in Super League this morning. But, um, <laughs> so, yeah, so unfortunately, he's sort of taken over that mortgage and that legacy that um, the great Ivan's left us. And he's sort of, I guess he's coaching a team that he probably doesn't want to be coaching as such. Um, and, yeah, there, there is a bit of an issue. I know, I know what he's trying to do and make us a hard-nosed team and give us that edge that we've always been lacking even as a team when those few years we made the top eight or even won the comp we've never really been known for our defense so i think he's trying to change that um however sometimes i do feel like he can be a little bit harsh on the players and needs to understand that it is a, it is just a game i know it's a professional sport nowadays but sometimes they just need to have some fun as well and enjoy what they're doing that's so. right i think that's been the knock on match hasn't it uh, ernie over the years is that he is someone that uh looks particularly angry a lot of the time, um, not, not not someone that looks necessarily like the type that a lot of the players sort of joke around and have a laugh with. When it, when you're talking about giving the Tigers that hard nosed edge, do you think there's a criticism there of Madge whereby he's not playing the cattle in front of him? And and by that I mean there are a number of coaches out there that probably look at the game a little bit differently in terms of the style that they want the team to play, depending on, I guess, the rosters that they have. Do you think there's like a misalignment there with Madge where it comes to the Tigers and he's trying to make them play a brand that they're simply not adept at playing? Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's almost like a premeditated shot in cricket or something. Like he just always tries to coach every team he has the same way. So he sort of did the same thing with South. He's done it with New Zealand. And he's really done that there's done a job with them where he's got them playing much more defensively than they should be um and same thing with west tigers so yeah, yeah it works. he has that sort of one sort of prototype and he just sticks with it so yeah no it worked with south when he had that massive forward pack and it seems to be that the, the thing with the sides he coaches right i mean if he's got if he's got a really big pack to rumble through everybody um then then that game plan kind of works but if if he doesn't then there's just no plan b Exactly, yeah, and that, that's the problem. He tries to do the bash and barge, but we don't have that power. So we need to, we need a bit of a different game plan and think laterally and get the forwards moving with inside balls and movement. But Match isn't the biggest fan of that. So that's all right, mate. Give um, give Eisenhuth a chance. He will be yeah. he'll be going over the top of that advantage line in no time. Don't you worry. Look, to, we're actually, for the listeners' benefit, that we're actually recording this game at halftime uh, for the Tigers' last game of the season against the Parramatta Eels. It's actually a tight affair at the moment. But I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Ernie. Uh, the man himself, Benji Marshall, it's his last game. It's also Chris Lawrence's last game, another stalwart for the club who I'm sure is beloved by a lot of Tigers fans. I love him, and I'm not even a Tigers fan because he's such a warrior. Um, can you tell me a little bit about those two players, what you'll miss about them? Obviously, he gives it 110%. Um, true professional gentleman of the game, which is hard to come by sometimes nowadays. Um, but yeah, I guess yeah, just his um, his work ethic always gives 110%. Um, you, you always know he's not going to shirk the load. Yeah. So he even we went to it. the effort of reconstructing his own face in the last couple of seasons. That's a hell of an effort. <laughs> that is an effort right there. Yeah. If you're willing to rebuild your entire head just to play for the Tigers, I think you're committed. Yeah, yeah. If you if you want to play with our team and be that committed, <laughs> then well, hats off to you. <laughs> well, 
And look, Benji Marshall's gone off injured uh, in the middle of this game. It's a really sad way for his career to end at the Tigers, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you've got to feel for Benji. It's a horrible way to end after everything is given, not only to the Tigers, but the game itself. So I think, obviously, I can't speak for you, but I'd say most fans out there would just, you know, be sad that he's leaving the game, but be happy for what the moments he's brought all of us over the years. Like, there's not many people you can say have changed the game of football itself, and he's probably one of them. Yeah, mate, I completely agree with that. And I, I know, you know, speaking to fans of many, many clubs, that Benji Marshall is just one of these guys that... Um, is it sort of beloved by all that transcends the the colours of the jersey a little bit? It sort of reminds me, I guess, of a a Steve Menzies. He was in a in a notoriously hated side, a very successful one in Manly in the nineties, and yet, oh, and, and into the two thousands, and yet he's sort of one of these guys that's beloved by many too. And as you said, Benji's some guy that actually did change the game. So many kids grew up grew up wanting to be like Benji Marshall. How many people can claim that mantle? Not many. No, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's, he's, he's just a, a very light, light player. Uh, and it is obviously a lot easier coming from a team that's notoriously poor. So um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they go for the underdog. So, yeah, it's always, it's always going to help Benji's cause as well. Mate, there's also reports uh, this week that Benji's open to playing in the English Super League. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Should he try to stay in the NRL or do you think he should head overseas to play in what we know is a weakened comp, which is now has so little money they're actually playing they're actually paying players in pepperoni pizza. Um, I'm suggesting he stays in the NRL, but what are your thoughts there? Um, yeah, well, obviously, if you can get a contract with the team, there'd be, surely there'd be some team out there wanting to snap him up. Um, he's definitely more than good enough. Um, we, we'd love to have him on another year, but unfortunately we can't. Uh, but, yeah, and, and there's comp like the Super League with, you know, defence isn't quite as solid. I think you would uh, have a field day. Like, I think Bevan French is carving up over there. The, is a potential man of steel. So, yeah, do they just give away out. those man of steel things to anybody? What's going on I'm there? Pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> I, think so. I think Pat Rich has got it twenty-four times. I don't know how it's possible. <laughs> he was only there for three seasons. I, yeah. I hear Jackson Hastings has several statues already, so that's kind of disconcerting <laughs> in itself. Mate, I, I understand that the uh, the game's already started back on again. I didn't want to take you away from Benji's last game, so I will wrap it there. But, mate, thank you very much for coming on the pod and, and sharing your thoughts about the Tigers, and I hope, uh, for your sake, they get a win for Benji in his last game. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, well, Ernie's a man of the people, so I'm always here any time. That's fine. <laughs> Sounds good, mate. We'll have you back soon. See you later. All right, cheers. Thank you.